Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 13 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. This has proven a bit of an elusive episode for me in the context of a fairly hectic weekend of re-entry on returning to life in Oregon after a week back in Michigan working and practicing what I envision as these parallel lives, and I hope to have a written article about that soon, processing the thoughts around that and around margin and around context. These are the thoughts that keep swirling for me in the course of the last few days as I've attempted a number of times, hit record a few times to get these words onto the virtual paper of the audio world. And in reflecting on the outline I began back in February with the initiation of this podcast, I've gotten through most of the topics, thrown in a few that came up in real time. And as I look at the remaining episodes in that original kind of quarter of the year, the one I intended next was in the press and looking at osteopathic physicians as they appear for the general public. And when I look at my target audience, it certainly includes my osteopathic colleagues, the NMM specialists, NDOs of any specialty, includes training osteopathic physicians and students in colleges of osteopathic medicine, but it also includes the general public considering the concept that osteopathy is for the health of all things, and that doesn't just mean the practice of osteopathic medicine directly. But there's a need for familiarity with DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine, and it was an interesting search to see where DOs showed up in the press in more mainstream media that anyone could encounter. And so that's where I'll begin today and see where it takes us, opening up the opportunity for lessons to emerge as they will. And the most recent and most popularly accessible article showed up in Self Magazine in February of this year by journalist Carolyn Todd, entitled, What is a Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine and Should You See One? And just looking overall at this article, it comes up under pain management as the subtext, you know, of where it might be categorized along with historical articles. It starts out with, here's what DOs really do. And it really delves in to the details, primarily comparing what an MD versus a DO might be 
and noting that you might, as a patient, encounter these different letters behind the name of your physician on their badge or coat or sign on the building. And you might wonder what that means. And as I've discussed in previous episodes, it's so interesting to me that the majority of time is spent drawing the similarities. And granted, in this article, the journalist is seeking to gain understanding for the audience or promote understanding for the audience. And certainly MDs are more prevalent and prominent and known. And so using that as the reference point, it can be helpful to show what's similar to grant a sense of legitimacy to DOs and express that they are fully licensed physicians, that their training um, is equal, and in some ways might be unrecognizable. The experience with an MD versus a DO as a patient, you might not know. You know, you could have been quizzed afterward. Was that physician a MD or DO? And it might not relate. And in some ways, I can see how that might be reassuring in a world where MDs were often seen as the gold standard and DOs were lesser than and now showing that the experience and the outcomes can be similar. As an osteopathic physician, that could be disheartening thinking, well, no one even noticed. You know, I'm holding on to this different theory and philosophy and method of practice, and it doesn't even matter. And what I hope is that, as we've discussed in merging of our residency training and promoting greater rigors of academia in osteopathic medicine and perhaps softening and leaning into the humanity in allopathic medicine, maybe some of those non-distinctions are okay if it means we're all practicing better medicine. So we're getting better on the science and the data and you know the details and the evidence-based, but we're also raising the bar for the humanity and the individualization and the realization that there's often not one right answer or one right way, but that ultimately the person matters. And when we start there and we end there, some of the paths between those two points can vary, but that it gets better for all of us as both the person delivering the care and the person receiving it if we're getting better on all arms. And so that's my utopian uh, idealism. And the book, by the way, Utopia for Realists, was a great um, reality check with hope. And I try to apply that lens to some of these readings. So I do appreciate what um, Carolyn Todd did in this article and bringing up data and details and comparing numbers of medical schools and board specialties and noting that the training will be combining and looking at you know entry numbers, uh, both hard numbers of students matriculating and the entry numbers as far as grade point averages and MCAT scores where there are distinctions between MDs and DOs, and also highlighting that there are four osteopathic tenets, but that also many allopathic physicians do try to see the whole person and work that way. It did highlight the focus on the musculoskeletal system for DOs and the use of osteopathic manipulative medicine or the training in OMM during medical school. That is a distinction. And noting that there will be opportunity for MDs to learn this as the residency training programs merge. So overall, I really appreciate the article. 
for putting the information out there, gaining awareness, advocating for the legitimacy of DOs, noting some of the distinctions. Um, But it's a pretty, not cold, but just, you know, more factual article. And that's okay. You know, that was likely its purpose. I've noticed some posts recently that the White House physician is a retired Navy SEAL who is a DO. And I'd be curious, you know, what the experience of that is and the comparison of past physicians in the White House and if the delivery of care is notably distinct for that. I think about social media and my engagement with DOs there. And one of the more preeminent in the social media world is Dr. Hollis Sabri, who is an osteopathic physician who happened to graduate the same year I did, but from the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine and founded kind of on a personal need, a Facebook group that started out in the 20s, meaning number of people that began in 2014 and has grown to more than 70,000 women across the world in its physician mom group. So its main criteria are that you are a mother and a physician. And it's a fascinating group to be a part of. And they are making waves. You know, it's a platform. It has power. And they're wielding it for the good, for advocacy and for support and for awareness and promotion of women in medicine and opportunity to have our voices heard and to have them shared and to support one another on this similar walk of life. And I'd encourage you um, to look it up and to look up what's happening there. And if you're a female physician and are a mother and aren't a member of the group, uh, for however much you might use social media, I will say this has been one um, that's had a lot of great uh, benefit in my own experience. I think about my most favorite article in public media in Prevention Magazine in June 2015 by Meehan Christ, entitled The Best Doctors You've Never Heard Of. And I've referenced this article a few times, um, and I often mistitle it. I've often misreferenced the title of this article as medicine's best kept secret. And maybe that's how I hear it as I read it. But I'll encourage you, and I will do my best to put this in show notes. There's a technical skill I'm still working to gain to read this article. And especially if you are one of my osteopathic colleagues in the neuromusculoskeletal medicine specialty. And I give big gratitude to Dr. Daniel Shadowan, who's the primary physician being interviewed in this article, for really painting a picture of osteopathic medicine as I know, understand, practice and live it. You know, this is an experiential article. The author is undergoing kind of assessment and treatment and sharing experience of that in the office. It just really seems to get it. You know, when I read it, it's got so much flavor and depth and speaks to the whole of osteopathic medicine. And, you know, I see a lot of the lessons I've learned in that article, and I imagine some, as a, Dr. Shadowan and I share a somewhat similar lineage in that he trained at St. Barnabas in the Bronx, and his teacher trained my program director, so I learned, you know, one step removed, and we often think about our 
heritage in osteopathic medicine. And so I'm sure some comes that way. But I hope some also just comes from osteopathic medicine as it's intended to be practiced. It really sings true in this article. So I would encourage you to read it in whole, but offer here a brief summation that just walks you through, you know, from stepping into the office and engaging in the assessment, what it feels like to be treated, the connections that are drawn between prior injuries and seemingly unrelated symptoms and what comes up for the physician and the broad concepts, you know, that are addressed in what seems like potentially, you know, this brief or one-time encounter, but that it draws on the whole life experience and respect for the whole person and the grand design and the interruptions to that and some of the limitations of how the human body is designed and can be used um, in modern day life. So Prevention Magazine, June 2015, I encourage you to look at this article, The Best Doctors You've Never Heard Of, and I'll do my best to put it in the show notes. As I look at all of these media exposures and you know my use of media with this podcast and the website and different blogs, you know, just trying to get the word out there for maybe nothing else than discussion, you know, and it's been interesting to me to get feedback primarily from folks, you know, near my inner circle on what it's been like to listen to the podcast and hear my thoughts and learn more about some of the details of my experience. And I encourage you to think about your story of health and maybe what parts that you just know, you know, oftentimes when we're experts in something, and certainly for the most part, we're experts in our own lives, if nothing else, there are things we understand, there are backstories and context that we just know, and sometimes make assumptions that are clear in what we're doing and why we're doing it. And it's been interesting to me to even the people that are closest to me have relayed that there are thoughts and ideas and concepts that they never knew existed in my life or my mind. And that's really interesting to me. And it makes me wonder, you know, what pieces are out there that could help me gain greater understanding for the people nearest to me, for my patients. Um, And I will say in the process of interviewing patients, there is this amazing opportunity as a physician to really dig deep pretty quick you know patients are there to tell you their story and to get answers and to be heard and to have things reflected back to them and it is impressive to me and you know i'm very grateful for the opportunity and the privilege of gaining the trust of folks and hearing some things that they might not share in other contexts and the opportunity to paint the picture for and with them and see and show those connections on parts of their life that really are important in that hold water and matter, you know, to the attempt and movement toward health for them. The other concept that came up when I was researching for this episode was the concept of conventional versus unconventional medicine. And I do wonder if this could be its own episode, but looking at the time right now, I think it's worth going into, and again, maybe putting the thought out there, opening discussion, opening my research and avenue and seeing where it goes. 
And this first came up with for me last week, actually, in the context of farming and the use of conventional versus organic. And the question was kind of posed that why do we get to call it conventional? You know, the use of pesticides and chemicals and these kind of inappropriate farming practices if we look at what they mean for the environment and the long-term health of the soil. And so, like we always do, go to the dictionary first and see what conventional on its own means. And a couple things that came up that I thought were interesting The concept that conventional is an adjective for things that are normal, ordinary, and following the accepted way. And when I read and hear that, I don't like it. You know, following the accepted way, again, is kind of the opposite of osteopathic medicine. As I noted early on, it was born out of saying the accepted way isn't working and we need better. We deserve better. We can do better. And normal and ordinary feel kind of blah to me, which is not a very appropriate podcast noise. But that's when I read that and it just doesn't feel good. Interestingly, another definition that came up was following the usual practices of the past. And I thought, well, there's a balance, again, between respecting the grand design and respecting history and heritage, but also understanding that we're evolving you know and we have to match the rate of evolution of mind body spirit environment relationships community and shouldn't medicine be moving along with that another was that conventional is opinions or theories that have existed for a long time and that most people agree with and how interesting to think about your general consensus And it gives me this image, you know, oftentimes I'll get a visual when I read things and this one just felt like sheep, you know, and it felt like just herding sheep. It's, you know, why are we doing that? Because it's how we've always done it. And again, there's a balance point of respecting what works and not fixing what isn't broken. But if we look at the current healthcare system and how medicine is received and viewed and how physicians are received and viewed, and are not sustaining themselves in medicine, I would say, not don't fix what's not broken, but this isn't a place where it's not broken. And certainly looking at conventional versus organic, you know, to me, it would make sense for organic to be the baseline and conventional to be labeled as... And that conventional as it's known now, should perhaps better be labeled as using chemicals, unsustainable soil maintenance. And I recognize these are controversial statements to be made, but I do think it's necessary for us to consider that. When I think about it in medicine, and in looking at those earlier articles, you know, MD, I often refer to as allopathic medicine, but they did refer to it as conventional medicine, and that came up again and again if I looked at conventional medicine Um, in articles and in definitions that MD is conventional and some put DO under conventional and others didn't and left MD as the only um, noted conventional medicine. And so I paused and considered that as well. And certainly if we think about following the usual practices of the past, that would be appropriate. As I look at the book entitled Unconventional Medicine written by Chris Kresser, who practices functional medicine and is challenging 
physicians to not practice based on what's been done before and to revolutionize the delivery of care and assessments and diagnosis and treatment of patients. It was fascinating to me to read a referenced quote by Mark Hyman, who's also a functional medicine specialist at the Cleveland Clinic. And I'm going to read it to you here and then pose some reflection on it. And this is by Willoughby Wade, physician to the General Hospital in Birmingham, England, in a functional medicine lecture from 1870 and published in The Lancet in 1871. So what is disease? In old times, people used to think that a disease was some actual entity or thing which had gotten to the body in some way and was there lying hidden and secreted and was to be cast out. This idea, which we now know to be truly only in a spe- excuse me, to be true only in a few specific instances, was at one time general. The conclusion is that all disease is disordered function. Here, then, I say, is the highest justification for all treatment being based upon the principle of restoring disordered functions to order. And this is what I have ventured to term functional medicine. And when we think about the timeline of osteopathy, you know, 1874-ish, came about at the same time in England versus, you know, middle America, when there wouldn't have been equal communication, but there would have been equal experience of life and delivery of medicine and you know, disappointment in the quality and the limitations of medicine and seeking for other. And I've noted previously that functional medicine, as I learn more about it and hear of it, sounds like osteopathy 2.0. And others who have been exposed to both have similar feelings. You know, it's about getting down to the root cause, seeing the complexity, the interrelationships within the body and with the patient in their community, in their world, in their environment, and really individualizing treatment. And so it's fascinating to me, and I'll again begin to study this relationship more because functional medicine, as it's noted today, refers more to this more recent 25 years in the U.S. in expansion of this detailed investigation for patients. But looking at this quote, treatment being based on the principle of restoring disordered functions to order, you know, structure and function, and the ability for healing and the relationship of all the systems in the body, mind, and spirit sounds pretty similar to me. And my hope is, again, that we can join forces, that we can see that many of us are moving toward the same goals. And we might have different languages that we're speaking to get there and different tools that we can bring and hopefully combine them, you know, rather than reinvent the wheel to be redundant or to have internal fighting about who's more right about the need for a better type of care to break from conventional medicine as it's known and accepted and be anything other than normal, ordinary, and following the accepted way simply because it is. But stepping out and saying, we deserve more, we can do more, and again, respecting the grand design in doing so. And I've had a lot of discussions recently about You know, this need maybe to play hero or to do it all or do it because we can. And that's not what I'm suggesting. But I'm suggesting to gain a deeper understanding and a deeper awareness and a deeper willingness to ask why and how and, you know, if it is enough 
And maybe the answer is yes, but often I think it will be no. And maybe it means doing less, you know, doing less but better and not just doing more, but doing better, doing differently, being extraordinary and unique and trusting ourselves to ask the right questions so that conventional, if we're going to say that it's what most people agree with, it's from a place of wholeheartedness and from a dedication to the health and that we're all able to stand behind it confidently and speak our truths and know we're consenting to this and accepting that it's probably going to change. You know, the rate of evolution of information and understanding is so rapid that to think it's going to look the same one, 10, 100 years from now is naive. But the framework can be consistent and constant. And maybe that's what's conventional. Those pillars, following the usual practices of the past, can refer to the pillars, the tenets of osteopathic medicine grounded in science and physiology and anatomy, but able to move and fluctuate and evolve through the lens of humanity. And so I hope this will find its way into the media, into knowing, to stimulate discussion, you know, to have people speak back and offer their experience or a different point of view that can help us to learn and grow and keep me on track for the weekly podcasts now on a Sunday this week, but hopefully back on track with Fridays going forward. And I'm going to do my best to stick to the framework I've developed and recognize that I do need to hold stronger margins in certain areas and be a little flexible when I need to because the humanity in my life, including the small humans and the big ones, matter and keep it a priority you know, of time for them and time for myself and time for my work and seeing how it all can synergize and appreciating the inspiration I have from my engagement with them. So thank you for your patience. Thanks for holding me accountable to getting this on the airwaves. And thank you to my dedicated musician who has changed themes with me every kind of three weeks, every kind of quarter through the episodes here and keeping it beautiful and inspired and evolving and anything other than conventional. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.